Support for The Bittersweet Life comes from our listeners. Thanks this week to Diane and Halinka and Joe and Margarita and Megan and Tyler. We cannot do it without you. Thank you so much. I'm Katie Sewell in Seattle. My co-host Tiffany is in Rome, Italy. We are both working hard but underemployed during this pandemic. So if you love the show and have the means, please support it. There are links in the show notes to Patreon or visit thebittersweetlife.net and click the donation button. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And today, to kick off today's topic, we're going to kick it off with one of your voice memos. This is from Jane in London. And a reminder, if you have any thoughts to share, send us a voice memo because you might just spur the next episode of The Bittersweet Life. So let's kick it over to Jane and then we'll introduce what our topic is today. Hello, Katie and Tiffany. I am responding to your request for your listeners to send a voice note and talk about their experiences under lockdown. I'm quite excited about this because I love your podcast. Uh, A little bit about me. I am an Australian woman in London. I'm in my mid-30s. I've lived in London for a long time now. I have a lot of family here. My family are dotted across the UK. They're not in London. Uh, This lockdown, if I'd known it was going to be going on for three, four months. I probably would have left London to go and stay with family, but I didn't. And it's probably too late now. And by the time I realised this was going to go on for quite some time, we couldn't travel. And I didn't want uh, my family to have to drive to London to pick me up during the middle of a global pandemic. So I stayed. I wanted to talk to you and let you know how it's been in London. I want to acknowledge first that I'm in a very privileged position. I have an office job that I can do from home and it remains a very busy job. And I am not ill and none of my loved ones are ill either. I do live alone and I live in London where it has been quite difficult to distance when you go out for your daily walk. Everyone has become a runner. I don't like running, I've become a runner, so I can go outside and get some exercise. And during the middle of the pandemic, when it was at its worst, during the peak in London, I definitely didn't want to go outside. I would have days on end when I didn't go outside. Obviously, London has a lot of people in it. And if you're coming down a path that's only a metre wide and there's nowhere else to go, it's impossible. I've definitely been walking down the path thinking, are they going to stand onto the street? Are they going to stand onto the street? Are they going to move? Are they going to move? They're not moving. They're not moving. Oh, I'm in the bush. I'm in the bush. I'm in the bush because I've been desperate to try and keep my distance from people. I definitely have also shouted at people who very obviously had the opportunity to step out away from me and distance and they didn't. I had a man shout at me when I said, you're not socially distancing. He told me to F off. Very, very nice. Very good experience. So how we are seeing and feeling. Look, I have a one bedroom apartment to myself and I have outdoors space. I have a little balcony and I feel that I shouldn't complain. 
but being alone has been hard. I miss my family. I haven't seen my family since Christmas. I don't know when I'm going to see them again. Um, I haven't seen my best friend since March, and it's difficult for now that we're allowed to meet outside. It's difficult because she lives on the other side of the river and lives probably what would be a two and a half hour walk away. We don't have cars or bikes and none of us are very comfortable getting on public transport yet. So we haven't seen each other. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been lonely. And then when you feel lonely and like your mental health is spiraling a little bit, you then feel guilty because you're also in a very privileged position and you're in a, 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 I, I acknowledge that. And then I feel guilty for the fact that I can do my job from home and that I'm not sick and I'm doing better than a lot of other people. So that's been really interesting to deal with mentally. The thing I miss the most is that at this time of year in the UK, when the weather is good on the days when it's good, I miss going to a pub, to a beer garden and having a pint with my mate. I miss going out for brunch with my friends. I miss seeing my family. I miss um, going out to see my family and having Sunday lunch with them and having my Auntie Mary be really mean to me about how I'm so rubbish at card games. Uh, And I miss physical contact with people because I haven't hugged anyone in months. I haven't had any physical touch for 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 months and I'm not a huge hugger at the best of times but when you're sort of deprived of that you you do miss it and I think I'd give almost anything to have a hug with my family and hug my friends and just be normal and um I don't know when that's going to be and I I think the thing I'm looking forward to the most is I'm looking forward to going to the office again. I'm looking forward to seeing my family. I'm looking forward to seeing my friends. And I know that I will see them again. And this will be a distant memory, hopefully, soon. This has been devastating for hundreds of thousands of families across the world to see their loved ones be struck down by this illness and I think it's going to take a you know huge toll on everybody uh, globally and things are going to change on that note I'm going to go and do some work and thanks for your podcast I love it I think it's fantastic tune in every week and thanks guys Topic of the day, living alone during lockdown. Yeah. Or loneliness. Solitude. Or however you want to frame it. Solitude. Solitude is a, such a hopeful, a hopeful take, which is fine. I think there's hopeful days. Don't you think of solitude as being like my own quiet meditation retreat? I think solitude is just the fact of it, the state of being alone. Mm. And then loneliness can exist if you're alone, but it doesn't necessarily exist if you're alone. And of course, you can be lonely when you're around other people. Yeah, it, it certainly. is a thing. But I would say solitude is just the, the state of being alone, whereas loneliness is the feeling. The ramification of being alone. For some people, though. Jane, thank you, by the way, for sending in that very heartfelt, very vulnerable message. I think that both Tiffany and I found it very moving and could certainly feel your pain 
of what it would be like to be living alone for so long. Certainly. And I don't know if being in such a big, busy city makes it worse or makes it easier. I don't know. Maybe makes it worse. I mean, I feel like if you were in the countryside, at least you would be able to commune with nature a little bit. Hmm. But being in a big, anonymous city where you can't see your friends and your family members. And yet when you go out to walk, you can't get far enough away from people. So <sighs> there's sort of that paranoia. Yeah, I think it's equivalent to New York. I think New York is that same way. Yeah, I was I was surprised to hear and, and saddened to hear how Londoners are treating each other during this time. Yelling at each other? Yeah, I mean... I don't know if that's across the board. I don't know. I just kind of feel like these sorts of situations often bring out the best in people, but maybe that doesn't last. It maybe can last for a month or something, but I feel like it's a shame that people are already going through such a hard time. To take it out on other people for no good reason seems a little bit harsh. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about the lack of physical touch in life in general and how much we get sort of almost accidentally from our friends when we're together, you know, whether you touch a hand or give each other a hug or whatever it is that you kind of absorb all this physical touch in day-to-day life or bumping shoulders even with somebody. You get a lot of that over here in Italy. Yeah, yeah. A lot of Italy, especially a lot of kissing on the cheeks, a lot of holding each other's arms. Mm-hmm. And I have no proof of this, but I have thought, even for myself during this period of time, that the lack of it makes it feel like you're withering, that you're dying inside in some way. And I haven't been able to figure out exactly how to describe that, that, that fading. It's a good way that you, you described it. I don't know if you're aware of this, but if a baby is not touched, like they can have all of their other needs met. They can be fed, they can be cleaned, Whatever they need, they can get. But if they don't have physical human touch, they will die, newborn babies. And when they have babies in the, in the NICU, sometimes the mothers are not able to be there all the time. So they will, I should say the parents, it's not just the mom's job. <laughs> but um, the nurses hold the babies periodically throughout the day because they need to be held. They need that physical touch literally to survive. It's not just a psychological thing. They need it. And that just goes to show, I mean, obviously adults are probably not going to physically die, but I mean, maybe some people would go into such deep depression that they, you know, would wither away. But I I think it's real. I think it it is really, I mean, we are social creatures. Mm -hmm. We are meant to be in groups and we're meant to be around other people. And we're meant to continue our family bonds. We don't fly the nest and never see our parents again like birds do. We continue to stay close with those same people. And we, some people mate for life, clearly not everyone, but you know, yeah. we're not loners and we're not meant to be. And so when you take everyone away, all real contact, all real life contact away from someone, I mean, what does it do to you? You know, it's funny. In thinking about this episode leading into it, you know the uh, the phrase, absence makes the heart grow fonder? I have heard that phrase. Right. So I looked up the origin of that phrase. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's from a Roman, a Roman poet, Tiffany. Is it? Yes. I did not know that. Uh, I will butcher his name. Sextus Propertus? Propertus. I'm going to guess with that. Sextus Propertus. Okay. Approximately 2,000 years ago. 
wrote something that resembles the idea, the concept more of absence makes the heart grow fonder. Although I looked up what he actually wrote. <laughs> of course you did. Which was <laughs> always toward absent lovers, loves, tides. Ugh, let me try that again. <laughs> it's written very difficultly. <clears throat> always toward absent lovers, loves, tide, stronger flows. Who translated that? That's a really <laughs> bizarre way of saying it. They probably could have translated it much more clearly. I, yeah, I personally don't agree with it. Uh, I never have agreed with that sentiment personally. Well, there's some science behind it. I looked it up. There's an article in the Washington Post. We could link it in the show notes. And they go over all these different studies that scientists have done to try to figure out if there's a kernel of truth in the absence makes the heart grow fonder thing. And they have determined what you said, that brains are actually wired to need other people for many reasons. But they did one study. This is just one of many. They did one study where they compared lonely individuals to non-lonely individuals and showed them pictures of loved ones, friends, family, lovers, whatever. And for the people who were lonely or more isolated, maybe, the reward regions of their brains lit up when they saw the pictures of the people they loved and when they were shown pictures of strangers they didn't light up now for the people who were less lonely they would look at strangers and pictures of people that they loved and their brains would almost do exactly the same thing so in that study it did seem to fit the notion that if you feel very disconnected there's a very strong reward in going after that connection again interesting which is i thought was kind of interesting that is interesting yeah my experience hasn't been that way. You have found that the longer somebody's gone, the less you care. Well, they're, they're just gone, out of here, finished, erased, <laughs> obliterated, <laughs> forgotten. I am very, um, I remember all of my loves in my life. I have fond memories of all of them. I have a special place in my heart for all of them. I will remember all of them. But I'm more thinking about like the crush, you know, or the one that got away. Not so much an ex, I feel. Well, but I mean, I think it's the same for an ex, though. Like, I have really only had one particularly brutal breakup in my life. Lucky. <laughs> I know, I was, I have been lucky. But, you know, it just was the time that healed. The times heals all wounds. There's another platitude for you. And I felt like with crushes as well, I can be so crushing on someone. I mean, back in the day, of course. You know, if they sort of disappear, you, know, you kind of lose interest, right? I mean, at least that's how I am. Maybe, maybe other people are more obsessive and, and are like, I will win this one person who doesn't look at, look at me and all the other people look at me and I don't want any of them. <laughs> well, just imagine a different scenario, though. Let's say that you, during the lockdown, the, the Italy lockdown where you're not even allowed to take a walk around the block. Mm -hmm. Let's say, hypothetically, that when that happened, Claudio and Aurelio were in a war over in America. Oh my God. <laughs> and, and they, when the whole world locks down, they get locked down in a different part of the world for those three months and you're by yourself. Oh, I would have gone. I would have gone. Travel restrictions have been placed. You are stuck in Italy. No, I would have found a way. I would have found a way to be with my son. I mean, I love my husband, but, but I mean, it's, imagine, it's... <laughs> imagine, imagine that you can't. Just imagine that you can't. I mean, that's sort of the situation that people who are living alone in lockdown are in like they are yeah they are locked away from these other people 
So imagine if that were the case, then would you say that absence makes the heart grow fonder? Or? Well, yes, Katie. I mean, I don't, <laughs> I don't think you can compare it to, I mean, okay, absence makes the heart grow fonder can be, I guess, could be applied to anyone. I think it's usually used in terms of lovers. Surely. You can't yes. compare that to a mother being separated from her young child. To me, that's unbearable. Okay, and let's say Aurelio is stuck with you. Okay. And Claudio is stuck in America. Oh, I'd be fine with that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, it might be a nice reprieve for a while. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, you just... I can't even imagine being separated from my child indefinitely. So that's why I can't even put my head around. It's not the same. It's like comparing apples and oranges. If my husband were far away from me, I think, yeah, I think I would, uh, I would probably be appreciating all those things about him more than when I'm stuck in the house with him. Sure. (laughs) I do want to touch on one more thing that Jane was talking about, which was the guilt because she felt like her situation really in the grand scheme of things wasn't that bad. She wasn't sick. Her family wasn't sick. She wasn't out of work. And that caused her to feel guilty for maybe feeling sorry for herself or feeling bad. And I just want to say to Jane and to anybody else out there who's feeling like this, which are, I think, a lot of people, I don't think that it's something to feel guilty about. I think that everybody has a right to suffer the hardships that they're going through. And there's always going to be somebody who's suffering more than you, no matter what. Like, you could be in the greatest calamity that you can imagine. There's someone suffering more than you. That doesn't make your suffering less real. And my sister, I was talking to my sister about it, and she has an 11-year-old daughter who is very into the performing arts. And, you know, her plays that she was in, that she was practicing for, that she had gotten big parts in, that she... They were all sort of canceled one by one. And my sister felt bad saying, you know, I feel so bad for her because she's she's like, but I know, you know, I know that's not the end of the world. And I said, you know what? That's the end of the world for her. And it's a big deal. Just because somebody else out there is in a much worse situation doesn't mean that her situation isn't devastating to her. So don't feel bad about feeling bad, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, I agree with that, actually, because I think that you can... I mean, isn't that what therapy in a part is about? It's about, in some cases, getting you to realize your own feelings and stop pushing them away. Hmm. And I also think that you can, exactly as you put it, suffer the sadnesses of your circumstances while at the same time maintaining empathy that other people are suffering other terrible circumstances. Yeah. And hopefully that will translate into some sort of meaningful change at the end of this thing. That empathy for how bad it was for so many different reasons, will result in things changing. I hope so. Things need to change. So I, I totally agree with you that that you can feel your feelings and also have empathy for other people and what they're doing. But yeah, guilt, shame, and those kind of emotions are like my least favorite emotions. Wasted emotions. <laughs> they are they're wasted. Worst. Yeah. Because all they do yeah. is punish you. Just let it go. And help you deny like, Stuff you probably need to process. (laughs) So do you want to, should we bring in our other guest? Yes, absolutely. Seattle writer Nicole Hardy wrote the memoir Confessions of a Latter-day Virgin, which was a finalist for the Washington State Book Award. Her essays have appeared all over the place, from the New York Times to the Washington Post to Marie Claire. She's also a poet, and I would consider a very outgoing person who's living alone during this pandemic. Am I right about you being an outgoing person? Yeah, I would agree. Full extrovert over here. And that aspect of it has been especially challenging. Yes. So can you give us a picture of 
where you are and what your situation is. I'm actually in a pretty unique place right now. I live, I don't know if you know this, I live in a condo complex that was built on the site of Laurel Beach Tuberculosis Sanatorium. Ooh. It was, a, yeah, it was established <laughs> in the early 1900s when tuberculosis was the leading cause of death in Seattle and there wasn't a vaccine and there was no treatment besides isolation. And so I now am in full isolation on this piece of property that was once built to put people in full isolation. Wow. Yeah, it's really intense, actually. I, you know, I did some Googling and I found all these pictures of these former TB patients, like taking the same walks on the same beach every day and climbing up and down the same hill every day. And I'm like, oh my God, they did it for years. Yeah. They could at least hang out with each other, right? And I feel like that's one of the things that's been really hard for me. The other day, I went to the protests on Capitol Hill, the Capitol Hill organized protest. Yes. Um, they keep changing the name, so I'm trying to make sure I got it right. And I ate a hot dog like six feet away from a friend and I started to cry because that's the first time I've eaten a meal with someone mm. since like March 10th or whatever. A lot of it has been really hard. Like the Zoom, everyone's like, just meet up on Zoom. And I'm like, it's not the same. It doesn't help me. It doesn't soothe me. It doesn't comfort me. It, it feels even more disconnecting, especially because most of the people I'm Zooming with are like, on a couch laughing and snuggling with someone else and it just makes the absence that much more pronounced if you had to give us a picture of your worst days and your best days oh god can you do that yeah i don't know if i can do it without getting emotional like the worst days are bad um sort of all the structure in, in my life has disappeared so like Friends are gone and family is gone because my mom's super immune compromised and also kind of forgetful these days. She's getting older and she's like, just come over. And I can't explain to her that the only way I can show love to her is by staying away. Mm -hmm. So and then uh, my job is gone. And then I'm also single. So like dating and sex and romance and flirting and affection and all that is it feels a little like I woke up one day and everything good in my life was canceled. <laughs> and I've always really loved living alone. And I like being single. I've, there's a lot of really wonderful aspects to this way of living, but the pandemic has flipped it upside down and I can't feel like there's much good about it right now. So um, yeah, the worst days I'm just sort of paralyzed and unemployed and incredibly isolated. And those days are rainy, so I can't walk outside either. So I just am sort of like a sad lump. The best days, the sun is out, the tide is out. I live in a beautiful place. I could take a walk on the beach and smell wet seaweed, which is somehow the most soothing scent in all the world. And I can look at the mountains and there are seagulls and I can remind myself that eventually there's going to be a vaccine and people can still come over and sit outside a certain ways away from me and wear a mask or sit even farther away and just like 
bring a flask. And it's what's really weird that I've been laughing about is that even in these strange social situations where I'm like, just come over and sit super far away from me and we're outside and the wind is blowing and we all feel safe. But every social interaction is limited by the time it is before someone has to pee. And then you have to go home because you can't come inside. Yeah, yeah, I know. Isn't that so interesting? (laughs) Are we all just going to start going to the bathroom outside on a bush because that's where we are now? I don't know. It's definitely possible. Yeah, we were talking about that. Well, maybe we could go for a drive. Well, where do you go for a drive if there's nowhere to stop to use the restroom or something? Yeah, well, especially now they're saying that public restrooms are now flinging COVID particles with every flush. All of it feels scary if you spend a lot of time thinking about it. But I will admit to you, I only lasted 67 days. And I woke up that day and I was like, I can't live like this. I can't be this isolated. I consider myself a pretty stable and mentally healthy person. But I was like, I'm worried about myself. I can't. It's not a way to live. It's not a way to survive. And I know people have been doing it way less comfortable and less beautiful places and are even more isolated than I am. But I woke up one day and I was like, no, I'm done. I ended up finding some guy on Tinder and we had this really long conversation. How many people have you seen? When is the last time you went in public? When is the last time you touched a human? Do you wear a mask? Blah, blah, blah. And we had this really bizarre, weird interview (laughs) (laughs) and then I was like all right you can come over and we'll meet outside far away and if that feels good we'll sit close and if that feels good we'll make out a little and if that feels good you can come upstairs and then maybe we can just like have an arrangement where we see each other and no one else until the end of the pandemic just so we don't die of being isolated And all of it was amazing. He did that weird Seattle thing that I'll never understand where someone's like, this is the best ever. And then they just disappeared. (laughs) You have no idea why. So on day 67, I did touch a human. And then on day 77, again, and then that's the end of it. And I think we're going on day 90. Mm -hmm. But I will say even that little band-aid of human contact has made an incredible incredibly profound difference in my mental health. I've heard that from other people actually. Managed it to a point and are now thinking something's got to change. Like if this is going to go on all year, how do you widen the circle slightly? Yeah, well, I mean, a very wise friend said to me when I was really feeling kind of on the edge, my only job right now is to take care of myself because no one can take care of me, right? Mm. Rule number one. Risk assessment is about more than the pandemic at this point. And so if you've been there all alone for months, there are other people who have been all alone also for months and you just have to find each other because it's unsustainable. Yeah. Can I ask what you do on those days when you're feeling really like everything beautiful is gone? How do you spend the day? (laughs) <laughs> I um it's super embarrassing I just binge really uh I was gonna say really trashy tv but that's not true I have been binging really good tv 10 years later so I did like all of Breaking Bad 
Huh. I did all of Breaking Bad in like maybe seven to eight days. I just didn't want to be in my body and I didn't want to be in my house and I didn't want to be in this situation. And I'm like, I'll just escape into this fiction that's so far from reality. I can't relate to it. So it didn't make me sad and it was incredibly mesmerizing, really. And so I think fiction of all kinds is the thing that's helping me just not be here. I don't understand people who are watching and reading things about like pandemics and apocalypse and the end of the world. I'm like, no, it's too close to home. We're already in the end of the world. (laughs) (laughs) Emotionally, it feels that way sometimes anyway. I relate to your feeling like that because I have mornings where I wake up and I think this is still going on. You know, the amount of patience that it takes to just keep on and say, okay, we're going to keep doing this another day has been um, a battle that I sometimes win and sometimes lose. How are you doing with the patience? That's the part of it that I think is really, really hard is just that it feels like such a grind and it does grind you down. And I'm not a person who has a lot of structure in my life. I freelance. I have a really active social life before all social events were canceled. You know, I travel a lot. I don't have very many days that look exactly the same from one to the next. And so to suddenly be thrust into a life where every day is the same and a lot of it feels either scary or hopeless or depressing, <laughs> like it's, that part is really hard. So I'm trying to do what I can to put a little variety in my days. And I think it's grinding everybody, whatever situation people are in, I feel like it's grinding them down the being trapped in too small space with too many people or having too much work to do or having not enough work to do. The part that's really freaking me out is just that I really loathe housework (laughs) and I don't normally do a lot of cooking and cleaning, but that's what my entire life is now is make things and then I clean up things. And then I'm like, how are there still... Every day, there's so many dishes. I feel like the people who have large families must be going insane right now just with the amount of dishes there are to do. Yeah, yeah. All I want is something that was made by someone else. And I get that takeout is a thing, but it's not a thing for me anymore now that my job is gone. And so on top of the stress of the monotony of it, trying to stave off the anxiety that comes with financial insecurity. Like, I don't know. I don't know if work is coming back. Kind of terrifying on top of the fear of illness, on top of the fear of everyone else I love and I can't go and take care of anyone. It's a lot. It's a pretty big Venn diagram where the middle section is just a lot of anxiety. Yeah, for sure. And loneliness. Yeah. Do you think that this will have a long term effect on you once it's over? God, I hope not. I'm pretty picky about who I get snuggly with. I'm not like a physically affectionate person, except on a case by case basis. And I feel like this is making me just want to get so snuggly with every single human on earth. I was like laughing the other day with a friend who's like, oh, I feel like this is going to make me less willing to touch people forever. And I'm like, oh, I'm the opposite. I just want to be under a pig pile. (laughs) When will the CDC come out and say pig piles are safe? Oh, now allowed. (laughs) Now allowed. Every single person you've ever met just climb on top of each other right now. Uh, Nicole Hardy is a Seattle writer in my very own city, but 
far enough away because of this pandemic that we couldn't do this in person. I'll have to look up what episode you were on before, back in the day, if people want to spend more time with you. Do you remember what the title of the episode you were on was? I don't. I don't. I had just come back from a sailing trip of sailing around the world. And if I remember correctly, I got really emotional in that episode, too. Like, what is it about you that makes me burst into tears? Thanks, Kitty. I have a reputation (laughs) for also crying on this show, so we can do it together, Nicole. It's just fine. Oh, well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Have a good day. That was a great interview. I, um, I find her very enjoyable to listen to, even though she's going through a lot of pain right now. Yeah, I do too. She's a writer, of course, and I wanted to respond in some writerly way. And I found the perfect quote for her Ooh. from F. Scott Fitzgerald. Mm, one of my faves. He wrote, The loneliest moment in someone's life is when they are watching their whole world fall apart. And all they can do is stare blankly. Jeez, Katie. (laughs) It's not encouraging. I thought you were going to, yeah, come out with something a little bit hopeful. I know, I should have. But with her talking about to not only lose all of her social contacts with people and her job and her, like, ability to move about in the world and 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 and, I just felt like he really captured that in one sentence. Yeah. So, sorry, Nicole, that was, <laughs> I should have, <laughs> uh, quick, Tiffany, think of something happy to say to Nicole. Um, well, at least you have a lot of time to write. Well, right? you, you could say that, but I think a lot of writers in Seattle are having a lot of trouble writing right now. Or in the world, probably. I shouldn't say Seattle. Yeah, I, I get that. I get it's hard to be creative when the world is falling apart. Mm-hmm. So try again. Um, (laughs) Well, you know, the fact that she can be funny and lighthearted, partially lighthearted in the face of a lot of suffering is a very good testament to her character and her fortitude. So she should be proud of that. Yes, I would agree. Very nice. Very nice. Thanks again, Nicole, for doing that. We did that on very, very short notice. So I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's hard to have a lot to offer coming from my situation where I'm never alone, uh, almost never. So it's hard for me to understand what she's going through or what people like Jane as well are going through. So I just don't have that much to offer other than just the wise words of Jim Demaine last week that this too shall pass. If you're currently living alone and you want to share any of your thoughts with us. I, I mean, I do feel like the way that we gain understanding into different people's perspectives is by telling each other our stories. And the interesting thing about both of their stories, although I didn't actually air it on the show, was that everybody had compassion for that it could be equally diff- difficult in a, a different circumstance. Nicole even talked about that with me, that she also understood that living in a house with a bunch of kids or living in a house that's more chaotic could equally be extremely difficult. But I think by telling each other our stories is how we come to understand how it feels in different circumstances. So if you're alone, feel free to send us a voice memo and share your thoughts as well, Mm -hmm. what you're struggling with and how you're coping. You can email us at bittersweetlife@mail.com. You can find the contact page on our website, thebittersweetlife.net. And you can always reach us on social media. Just search for the Bittersweet Life Podcast.
And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye. Thanks for listening. Our logo is designed by Jody Rick at The Lost Laboratory, with help from our muse, Caravaggio. Lori Lee Elliott manages The Bittersweet Life on YouTube. We have a brand new newsletter. If you want to hear what we're reading and thinking about once a month, let us know by sending an email to bittersweetlife at mail.com, and we'll put you on the list. And some of you write us the most beautiful emails. If you haven't already, leave us a review as well on your podcast app. Your support is vital to the show, so whether you send in a financial contribution at thebittersweetlife.net or spread the word about the show to your friends or through your social media by writing an article or doing an interview with us, we appreciate your support. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts for keeping this show going. Take care, be safe, talk soon.